This is out of office for January 2017, Managing Conflict in Distributed Teams. Welcome to the Out of Office podcast, where you'll learn how to work from virtually anywhere by using the internet for greater convenience, comfort, and freedom. Your hosts are Chris Pudney and Gihan Pereira. Hello, Chris. How are you going? I'm well, thanks, Gihan. Happy New Year. Yes, Happy New Year to you. It's uh, the end of January and it seems a bit late to be saying Happy New Year, but I guess we haven't really had an episode for a couple of months, I think. That's right. We didn't have a December one, I don't think, and we've almost missed January. Yes, that's right. But that means that we've had some some time away. Uh, I know the, you have. Uh, Nikki and I went overseas in early December. That was really good. Went to Singapore and went on a cruise, which was great. Uh, came back before Christmas and uh, had a nice relaxing Christmas in Perth. Yeah, and we had a great time too. We made the most of the summer weather. And now that that summer weather has gone, um, I guess it's back to work. Back to work. Back to work. <laughs> Talk about managing conflict. <laughs> That's right. Dealing with conflict. It's the first thing that happens when you get back. Yes. Yeah, so, yes. So we are going to talk about conflict. We're going to start the year on a negative note. Um, but it's, it's worth talking about, Gihan, because uh, unfortunately, it's an inevitable, in, inevitable part uh, of human interaction, but hopefully it's an infrequent one. Um, but it's important to talk about because the consequences can be quite bad. You end up with some unhappy workers, you lose productivity, there's general dysfunction. People even leave their jobs, leave their workplaces as a consequence of conflict that's left untreated. So what we'll talk about today is how to keep conflict to a minimum. Um, and we're going to have a two-parter. So we're going to talk about preventing conflict today. And then in a subsequent episode, we'll talk about how to deal with conflict when it does arise. But let's start with a few assumptions. Firstly, we'll assume that the conflicting parties actually want to work well together. You don't have a rogue who's being deliberately hostile, for example. Um, and also recognise that not all conflict is bad, that sometimes it can lead to positive change and improvements in your ways of working. But that said, we are talking about things that are actually negative, things that we would prefer to avoid, even though it can sometimes lead to positive outcomes. Um, and we're also not talking about things like friendly competition or debating and challenging ideas or playing devil's advocate. We're talking about the negative stuff here. So this episode isn't a general topic about conflict resolution. We are focused on specific issues that relate to distributed teams. And it is particularly relevant for distributed teams, Kihan, because some research that I read recently has revealed that distributed teams do suffer more from conflict than regular teams that are based in an office. And when conflict arises, it can be more difficult to resolve. Also, we are talking about conflict that's between two members of your team, but the same principles arise when it's conflict that actually involves you. So there are a couple of caveats to consider that when you're involved, you need to be a bit more sensitive because although you might want to treat the other party as an equal with you when you come to resolving the conflict, you're still going to be their boss and so you still have a degree of authority or power over them. So be more sensitive and be more open. So ask more questions, listen more carefully and be more open to their ideas so that you get a much better understanding of their position and point of view. It's not just good emotional intelligence. It's essential when you're dealing with members of teams, uh, team members who might be remote from you. It's easy in those situations to make the wrong assumptions about their situation. That's good, Chris. And uh, as you say, we're talking about conflict with the distributed team members of people who aren't uh, working in the same office. And when you think about the types of conflict that arise, they're the same sort of things that happen with regular in-office teams. But 
because you have your team members working in different locations, different time zones, perhaps speaking different languages or maybe not having the same first language and having different cultures, there are some things that happen. And uh, first of all, you create potentially, um, there's more potential for conflict because people aren't working in the same office. They can't just stick their head over a cubicle straight away. And also um, when conflict occurs, it can be magnified for the same reason because people aren't right there and they can't resolve it straight away. Um, and when we talk about conflicts, we're talking about both personal and professional conflicts. So personal conflicts are where there are um, two people who have a relationship clash because for some reason they, they their personalities clash or they don't like each other. Um, and, you know, there's, when you, when you think about an in-person team versus a, a, a distributed team, there are pros and cons to this. <laughs> one, thing, one positive of having a distributed team is that there may be less of that, of those personality conflicts, because there's less in-person contact. So people tend to focus on their professional work, and maybe personalities don't tend to get in the, same, uh, get in the way the same as they do when you're working in an office. Uh, but on the on the other hand, when conflicts occur, they sometimes just arise out of simple misunderstandings because you're not communicating in person, face to face with words. You might be saying, you might say something in an email that um, somebody misinterprets or they don't get your tone of voice. And it may be a simple misunderstanding that blows up into a big issue. Um, and also, when there is a real conflict, then it can be more of a challenge to address. And so you as a leader or manager have to be right on top of those um, so that you can address those conflicts um, very quickly. And uh, first of all, be aware of them and then address them. Um, the second area is, is the professional conflicts. And uh, that's more based around the work that your team is doing. So they, they're the, probably the more common kind of conflicts that occur. And uh, on the positive side, they're a little bit more straightforward to resolve than the personal conflicts because you're not talking about dueling personalities or clashing personalities, um, but yeah, you're talking about actually work-related stuff. And quite often, um, you resolve the conflict and both parties are happy and you go on with a, with actually something that's better than what you started with. Um, on the other hand, there's a little best, there's a little less margin for error when you're talking about a distributed team. Um, for example, if something, if something's going to be delayed, um, in an, in an office, you can just walk over to the person and say, hey, do you mind if I send this, um, if, I, if this is delayed by an hour? Um, but when you're working with people from possibly the other side of the world and you don't have the chance to do that immediately, delaying something by an hour could actually make have significant knock-on effects. So you've got less margin for error when things go wrong. Um, and also, when you do have these sort of professional conflicts, uh, if you let them if you let them fester and let them grow, then they can turn into um, those personal conflicts as well. And then, then it gets out of control. Indeed it does. So how do we manage these sorts of things, Kihan? Well, the old adage is that prevention is the best cure. Is the best cure. And so the idea then is to keep uh, conflict to a minimum. But at the same time, we don't avoid conflict at all costs, especially where you might have measures that result in valuable feedback being silenced or constructive criticism going unheard. And so what you want to do is develop a strong and cohesive team culture, and that helps to mitigate the effects of workers being in separate locations, separate time zones, having different cultures and, and working in different languages. Um, and so the ways of doing this, I'm going to draw here on some research by Pamela Hines. She's looked and researched uh, exactly this topic, so how to manage conflict in distributed teams. And she's come up with a series of suggestions, the first of which is to try and avoid 
developing competition and rivalry within your team. Some competition is healthy, but with distributed teams, it's easy for a mentality of us versus them to develop, uh, especially where people are working, for instance, in different locations. And that can erode the trust and rapport that teams need to avoid conflict. And you need to be especially mindful where you might have a bit of an imbalanced team structure. So you might have, say, a group of your team are based in a head office and some uh, the remainder of your team are in regional smaller offices. Or you might have some people who are based in office and others who are working remotely from home. And in those circumstances, that is precisely the kind of circumstance where an us versus them mentality can develop. So you need to work hard to, uh, to overcome that kind of thing. So you can, for instance, give greater voice and opportunity to those smaller, let's say, disempowered um, parts of your team. You can offer them the opportunity to chair meetings or to lead presentations. Something else that you can do to develop a, a strong team culture is to work on the team having a shared identity. So create a sense within your team that we're all in it together. So let each worker understand and know how their work contributes to the common goals of the team and let the team know how those goals, the team's goals, fit into the bigger picture of the organisation's or their client's mission. So what you're doing is giving your team your teamwork meaning, and this is especially important for millennials, but it's also a really good way of bringing your team together and, having, and them having a shared sense of identity. The other thing that you can do is take the opportunity to regularly bring your whole team together. So that can be done virtually, you know, try and find a time when all of you can have a, a, a team meeting where everyone is present. Uh, even better, if you can find opportunities where you can get everyone together in person, that's a great way of developing a shared identity. The next thing that you can work on is having a shared context. So this is task-focused. We're talking about the tools and processes and priorities that the team has. Now, the idea is to try and develop a shared context, but with a distributed team, the, the, the context is necessarily going to differ. People are working in different time zones. They're speaking different languages. And so sometimes that context is going to differ or even be incompatible. And those differences and incompatibilities are the, exactly the kinds of things that can give rise to conflict. So where you have that in your team, you need to work hard to try and resolve those differences. They're, they're unavoidable. So what you want is for your your different parts of your team to understand the different circumstances that each of the remainder, the rest of the team are working in. One of the ways that you can do this, it's not always possible, is something like a site visit. So if you can get uh, part of your team to visit, go on site to one of your regional offices or to one of the the, the field field locations that your team's working in, that's a great way of seeing in person uh, the circumstances that different team members are working on. It's not always possible, uh, especially where you've got a global team, but if you can, the, the idea is that you try and make your each part of your team stand the context that the rest of the team is working in. And finally, teams that can communicate informally also are teams that can develop a strong sense of identity and team culture. So this is things like in a, in a regular office, you bump into each other in the corridor, you can talk around the water cooler, you can uh, you know, pop into someone's office or cubicle and have a bit of a chat. That sort of thing is not amenable with distributed teams necessarily. So what you've got to do is try and engineer those circumstances. So for instance, in team meetings, you can have the opportunity for people just to uh, spend five minutes talking about what they did on the weekend, or um, you can allow people, you can say, you just have a policy where it's okay to spend some time, say, 
texting or using IM or some virtual shared workspace. We'll talk about that in a moment, where people can just talk uh, socially and get to know each other and build trust that way. As you're talking about those things, Chris, it just struck me that this is the sort of these are the sort of issues that you've faced for well more than a decade now, working on the on the other side of the world with your with your team members and your colleagues. Um, and I know you've talked in the past about bringing the team together. You travel to conferences. You get to meet people in person. How has that worked for you? Yeah, so I do try to get on site um, regularly, so maybe once a year. Sometimes it's two years before I get to do that. But it's it's also things like communicating informally, Gihan. I used to be a li- uh, quite business-like and try and get meetings started and underway really quickly. Uh, but now I recognise there's real value in just having spending five minutes, having a bit of a chat, talking about what we did on the weekend, um, uh, and not being so task focused that there's this we know that um, the distributed teams and remote workers are very task focused but I think it's really valuable to try and just just get to know people socially the people that you work with and that helps you get a picture of them in your mind and vice versa uh, them of you understanding the context and and who you are yeah great Great. And, yeah, and you touched on the idea, Chris, that um, you do want to share context and have tools, processes, and the infrastructure in place that allows you to do that. So let's talk a little bit about that. So one of the best things you can do to, to prevent or avoid the conflict, uh, conflict from arising in the first place is just make sure that you do have those uh, virtual outlets for team members to share their concerns, to, to be heard and build trust. And, they, again, you can't take it for granted because in an office that happens naturally. The office, the workplace, is the place where people can get together and, and talk. And sometimes it creates conflict, but it also allows the opportunities for you to address conflict. And in a distributed team or remote workplace, um, you have to create that intentionally rather than um, just assuming or relying on it happening automatically. So think about things like your your virtual workspace. Um, If all you're doing is you're providing nothing except emails back and forth and IM or text back and forth, it's probably not enough. So you want to have some kind of, if you like, shared office space using tools like Slack or um, HipChat or Yammer you want something so that there is a people feel like there is a, a shared workplace that they can or workspace that uh, there's a focal point for your teamwork and, and when you provide that it just has a number of benefits that 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 are useful for your general productivity and general work operations but also mean that you can kind of head off head off at the pass any potential conflicts that can arise. For example, if there are problems, you can, you can air the problems early, especially task-related problems. People are quite happy to share them in the shared workspace because uh, they, they'll raise a problem or they will create a little Trello. What do you call it in Trello? Not a board, but a... A swim card. lane. A tr- they call yeah. it yeah, a card. That's right. Yeah. You can raise a card, you have a deadline attached to it, and people can comment on it. And um, any sort of issues that arise can be addressed online with no emotion and uh, shared publicly for everyone to see. So it's open and, trans- uh, open and transparent. Um, it also means that people can share issues and get them get other team members to, to comment on them. So it becomes a collaborative effort rather than one person going off and trying to do a task in private and struggling with it and 
missing a deadline and then causing problems for the rest of the team. Because it's shared, uh, everyone can contribute and uh, people want to help. And uh, as we said at the start, we're assuming that everyone has a positive intent. Um, and so if you provide the place for them to do that, uh, then, they, then they will express themselves and they will share and contribute. Um, the other thing with that is that you do get feedback along the way. So rather than just having a task that somebody goes off and works on and then replies at the very end, um, by sharing their progress along the way, you do get honest and candid feedback as well, um, which helps the individual tasks as well, but just helps the overall, um, the overall project flow as well. And it helps to build trust because people in distributed teams build trust based on professional interactions rather than, say, in office teams where they build trust based on personal interactions like what you did on the weekend. Um, in a distributed team, people build trust based on what they see in terms of responsibility, integrity, being responsive, all of those sort of positive things that, that help work to get done also are, the things that are also the things that build trust. And of course, when you do this, you also build up this knowledge bank, this, this repository of information and um, wisdom that is available not only to your, your team at the moment, but it's also available in the future to other people. And, and, and it, just makes, it just makes life easier for everybody when that sort of workspace is available. Yeah, Gihan, and I think also um, these workspaces, they're often uh, things are discussed on their technical merits, so things are depersonalised and it, the opportunity to call someone an idiot doesn't arise because you do things on, you're talking about the technical side of the work that you're doing, that you're doing together, and things are focused on the technical side rather than on the personal side of things. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, and that said, um, sometimes you do need to take things off offline. So make sure that you've got the right communication channels in place because you don't want to air grievances necessarily publicly. So make sure that you and your team members and, and team members between themselves um, understand that there are appropriate ways and appropriate things to do in public and some things that should be done in private and that there are ways that they can do it in private. Um, you know, for example, you you always want to make sure that a good leader or manager should say my door's always open and make sure that there is a virtual door as well, that uh, people feel comfortable that they can pick up the phone and call you or set up a video conference call with you or you know, host or start a um, an online meeting if necessary so that they can discuss issues before they get out of hand. And, and also keep in mind that some things do need to be confidential for, for a number of reasons. One is, of course, because you do need to protect people's privacy and confidentiality, but also because people feel more open sometimes talking about things in private that they wouldn't discuss in public. And sometimes it's just not appropriate. And, I mean, some of the things I'm saying sound so obvious, and yet, if you don't provide the infrastructure for that to happen, then the, the more the more friction there is for somebody to, say, pick up the phone and call, or schedule a meeting, or initiate an online meeting themselves, the less chance there is that they'll actually do it. So, so make sure that it, that you make it easy for them to step out of their public workspace and do things privately if they need to. And the other thing as a leader or manager is that it's very much up to you to lead by example. And again, this is something that you would expect a leader or manager to do in an in office, uh, in an office, but you have to do it in a distributed team as well. And actually make a, proactively make an effort to show that you're, that you're modeling the behavior that you expect of others in your team. So for example, be always offer constructive criticism and be careful about criticizing in public 
Uh, I remember someone said to me once, uh, criticize in private, praise in public. And, and I think that's a really good rule to follow for any sort of leader or manager. Um, be careful not to make it criticism when you do criticize. Be careful not to make it personal because it's not always about the person. It's about their behavior. So separate the behavior from the person's identity. Um, and also make sure that you do encourage candor and openness and when somebody is candid and open that you don't punish them for it but you reward them for it and you thank them for it and, and the one last thing which i think is often overlooked is that when you make a mistake apologize it doesn't mean you have to um, apologize profusely and go overboard but do do be willing to say i'm sorry i made a mistake because uh, if you do that, then other people will feel comfortable doing the same thing. Not always, but uh, as if you don't say that, then it makes it more difficult for other people to do that. Uh, yeah, and it's especially important when you do that as a leader, Gihan, isn't it? Then others will be more inclined if the boss is doing it, then you know, they're going to be more inclined to do it when it's, when it's their call to do so. Exactly, and, and there's a right and wrong way to apologise. So it's just from, if I say to you, oh, I'm sorry you were upset by that, <laughs> it's not really an apology. And I think that the, the right way to do it, and, and you script these words, I'm sorry, I made a mistake. Yeah. And uh, be really clear. And when you put it in writing like that, it's pretty clear what your intent is. Um, whereas, just be careful, I mean, when you, the stuff that you do in email and on Trello boards and everywhere else, if it's in writing, there people don't always see the tone behind it. Mm. So be careful about the words you use and make sure that they are clear and unambiguous. Good. Okay, so I think that's a good place to stop our part one, Chris, because uh, we've talked about the best thing that you can do for managing conflict in a distributed team, which is to um, head it off at the pass. So make sure it doesn't occur to avoid it or prevent it. So in the second part, we'll look at what happens when conflict does occur, because despite your best efforts, conflict is going to arise. So in the second part, we'll look at a process for um, understanding the conflict, acting on it, resolving it, and, um, and using it as a learning opportunity. Yes, we better have that part too soon, just in case people have got lots of conflicts building up. <laughs> That's right. So just hold on to them for a month. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But uh, just to conclude, Gihan, I think this idea of building a strong and cohesive team culture it, it has benefits outside of con of preventing conflict as well it also does improve productivity and it does build trust so conflict is is a really important thing to deal with with distributed teams and developing a strong and cohesive team culture is a great way of preventing conflict but it has benefits beyond that so i think it's really something that uh, leaders of distributed teams need to need to focus on it is something that we've talked about in the past as well yeah, I agree. And I agree. And again, I'll reinforce the point that the most important thing if you're a leader of a distributed team versus leader of an in-office team is you just have to be more proactive about it. Mm. Um, in an office, some of the environment, the infrastructure, the setting is already in place for you. So you you're probably taking advantage of it without realizing it. As soon as you've got a remote team or a virtual team or distributed team, all of that disappears and you have to create that or make sure that it's in place. So you don't have to do it yourself personally, but make sure you get HR on board, IT on board, and of course your team on board to make sure that you create that environment um, that, that allows you to create that cohesive team culture. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, that's been an excellent discussion, Gihan. And... We'll have some show notes on the outofofficebook.com blog where we'll have some links to the various things that we've mentioned today. And if you want to get in contact with us, though, you can leave a comment on any of the blog posts. Uh, but until then, it's bye for now. and We'll be back with another episode in about a month's time. 
Thanks, Chris. Bye for now. Visit our website at outofofficebook.com where you can read all our show notes, subscribe to the podcast, and get our book, Out of Office. We wish you all the best in creating the work style of your choice.